Welcome to Advent Christian Voices with the Renewed Church Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Royals, and I'm joined by everyone's favorite communications director slash church health guy, Justin Nash, and a very special guest, Andy Rice, pastor of Faith Evangelical Church in Melrose, Massachusetts. Andy is a graduate of uh, a fixed uh, Lancaster Bible College, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, and he has uh, more letters after his name than most people have in their actual name with all the degrees that he has. Uh, Justin, how are you doing today? Doing great. We finally got some rain here, so uh, things are looking up here for the state of North Carolina. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, Andy, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, how about you just give a brief introduction to our audience? I know you're, uh, you probably come with, uh, most people probably know who you are if they're in the Evan Christian denomination, or at least they know the Rice name, but maybe you could just share a little bit about yourself. Sure. I have been a pastor of an Advent Christian church in Melrose, Massachusetts for almost nine years. I'm actually wrapping up my ministry there and uh, we'll be starting at Bix. As you mentioned, I, I'm alum of Bix. I'll be starting there as president in October. Uh, before that, I grew up in Advent Christian churches. My dad has been an Advent Christian pastor for 30 something years. Uh, and so I know the Advent Christian church well. I'm married to Carrie. We have four kids, and uh, we're grateful to be alive. Wow, that was exciting. <laughs> <laughs> if that's how you end it, we're grateful that's, to be alive. Wow, okay. What right. What more is there to say? I don't know, man. I don't know. We, I, uh, we talk on the regular, so it's kind of like hard to try and, you know, share things that you – I mean, uh, that uh, – we probably talk about on a regular basis. You know, sometimes it's hard. Like if I talk to Justin regularly, which I do, it's hard to have those conversations on the air because we kind of already know these things. So it's kind of weird and disingenuous to have conversations or pretend that we didn't have them already prior to coming on the air. Anyway, so thanks for coming, man. I know um, just for our our audience's uh, benefit, we've been trying to get together the three of us for the last couple of weeks and, um, we're really grateful to have you, Andy. We're going to have you for a couple of podcasts and, and specifically focusing on um, just kind of young pastors because you really seem in tune with a lot of young pastors. You're even one of the co-founders of the Restoration Network um, here in the Eastern region, uh, which I'm a part of. And so is Tom, the producer of the show, and kind of the he's the uh, brains, uh, so to speak, behind uh, Evan Christian Voices. And so you and, and Derek, uh, Irvin have been the two who've really brought a lot of younger pastors together to have conversations in the Eastern region and then have brought in that to older pastors as well. So you've been kind of a guy that I've seen who um, is really in tune, not just with younger pastors and, and what they're going through, but also have benefited from knowing a lot of older pastors too. Yeah, I've uh, through the Restoration Network in particular, which primarily at least from the beginning, consisted of younger pastors, have had the opportunity to just get to know them. Uh, certainly, I've lived pastoral ministry for the last nine years, so I know well uh, the particular struggles, it seems like, just because they've been my own struggles. Um, but I've definitely enjoyed networking with other pastors as well. Mm. We're grateful for that. So uh, let's get into our first question, Andy. Uh, uh, the first question that we have for you today is, um, what are some struggles that you see in your fellow young pastors um, have had ministry-wise? Well, that makes it sound like I haven't had them (laughs) as well, that I've just observed these problems among other people. 
So I want to be careful to make sure that that's not communicated. Uh, most of what comes to mind are my own struggles. Uh, I think primarily, and, and this probably isn't unique to younger pastors, um, but primarily a struggle is burnout. Um, I think that uh, that's probably not any surprise. It's easy, as is the case in any field, in anything, to, to just feel invincible in pastoral ministry, um, kind of to go into pastoral ministry thinking it's going to go a certain way and, and thinking that that you're immune to the, maybe the struggles that every pastor uh, testifies to and to just burn the candle at both ends right from the beginning. Um, to go all in at your church, which I think is a good thing to, to go all in, but to do that in an unhealthy way. Um, and I think burnout would go hand in hand with um, finding your identity in pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. I think that ultimately is the cause, the root cause of burnout, um, not just a matter of working too many hours, but a matter of what's going on in your heart. Um mm-hmm and finding your identity in what you do uh, or in your successes or in your failures um, in how uh, well people responded to your sermon in a given week or um, how your attendance is lately. Um, I think that's, those are identity issues that ultimately lead to idolatry issues that ultimately lead to burnout uh, mm-hmm. among many other things. Justin, you work with a wide range of uh, of churches and pastors in our denomination. Do you do you sense that that's a similar uh, struggle that even older pastors have? Yeah, I think what Andy's describing there certainly that that's really pastoral ministry. Something you have to be really really careful with. It's easy to be burned out. It's easy to it's easy uh, as one one older pastor recently told me he had to get over his messiah complex. To thinking he he was have to have to be the savior to everyone and everything and that was a difficult thing for him and so I think that's really common in pastoral ministry especially in small churches when you don't have other staff to to kind of come alongside and help and you do have to be sort of the the Swiss Army knife of ministry and do a lot of different things so Andy how old were you when you went to faith I was twenty five okay so had you uh, were you were you married at that time? Did you have children yet? Did you were, had you already finished seminary, or were you still in seminary? Uh, finished seminary, three years married, and a six month old. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is your first this is your first pastoral experience in a church? Is that? Yes. Obvious, yeah. Right. So, so was that? Um, how long did it how long did it take for the sort of the the new and the excitement to wear off <laughs> and the reality to sort of sit in? Hmm. Um, let's see, I started on a Monday, so Tuesday, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, a couple of things um, there. I mean, one unique in our situation is that we had been attending Faith Church for three years before I started as pastor. So uh, the role changed. But the church wasn't new, so we didn't have that. Um, on the other hand, I, I think people often say that there's this honeymoon period that you have uh, in pastoral ministry, kind of generally lasts at, at least a year, maybe a little bit longer. And I think that we felt, I don't remember the exact timeline at this point, but I think we felt that as well, that there was a time when the honeymoon wore off. And that may not have been how you meant it, but um, 
where the the whole newness and all of the the grace that goes along with being brand new it does start to fade at a certain point uh, and I would say for us that was probably between a year and 18 months but um, we were hit pretty early on with some challenges of various kinds not from our people per se but uh, just some circumstances on many different levels in our church so that helps the newness to wear off as well what sure. um, one of the things related to burnout, burning the candle at both ends, and things that younger pastors tend to struggle with, I think, is the issue of priorities. Um, and in particular, prioritizing your family. Um, mm. To me, it's related to burnout, but it, and, and really, again, related to um, ministry idolatry, because it's very easy uh, to sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. Um, and I think the difference is coming in for me, I, I was well aware and I could check the boxes uh, of my priorities. Okay, God, family, church, in that order. Uh, I'm a child of God. I'm a husband and a father. And then I'm a pastor. You know, I would say that. But did I always and still do, I always uh, function that way. Those are two different things. Um, so just generally avoiding, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, observing other younger pastors I see that as a very common tendency to to not hold fast to time commitments with family, uh, days off, those sorts of things. Um, mm. Well, I can't imagine, like I can see that and um, how, how that's very difficult because to try and balance family and uh, ministry obligations when like say there's meetings at nighttime and maybe your, you know, your kids are uh, in sports and things like that, it might cause conflicts where you're, where you're trying to have like an inner battle. Okay. What do I, what do I have to do? You know, is it acceptable for me to postpone certain meetings or just that, that stuff over there? If um, say my kids in the playoffs or something like that, or um, should I at all costs, you know, have to, all right, well, this is my vocation. This is my job. I have this meeting twice a month, I can't miss that meeting no matter what's going on with my kids or, or with my wife and stuff like that. Like, I think that's probably a really difficult balance to find, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And, and it is about finding the balance because you can't do everything on, on either front. Um, and in particular, generally speaking, pastoral ministry is not a nine to five job that you just punch in and punch out. So you do have to find those uh, the balance. I think one of the ways that that has worked well for me was to find certain rhythms and certain commitments that we hold to no matter what. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and that varies, I think, from person to person and family to family. Uh, but certain things that your family can rely on that no matter what, you're going to hold to um, this commitment. So mm -hmm. in my case, that has been a day off, a family day. Um, I'm not legalistic about it. Uh, and yet pretty rigid um, with with sticking to it. In other words, I'll change the, the particular day, but um, my kids know that for the most part, unless there's been a vacation involved or something else that's that we're switching around, that I'm going to be around on Thursdays um, mm -hmm. because that's the day that, that I've set aside and, and never going to be out on Thursday nights for church-related things. Um, that's just one commitment. I mean, there's, there's others that we've made and kind of settled into. Um, certainly didn't have those things uh, the day off, I guess I did, but some of these other commitments I didn't have on day one. We just kind of settled into them, um, but they've been hugely helpful. 
I think those vary from person to person, but that's one way to find the balance. What, whatever it is, those small commitments that work for you, stick with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So do you have um, some personal examples or lessons that you've learned over the last nine years, like specific things um, that you would want to impart to someone that's going to be just entering into ministry, um, who, who might have a young family and doesn't necessarily have the, you know, you, know, you grew up in, you know, being a, a pastor's kid. So you kind of maybe had some expectations of what things might look like, Um you know, experiences that maybe some other folks don't have as they enter the pastorate. Yeah, I've learned a lot uh, the hard way in many cases. Um, I don't pretend to have it all figured out by any means. Um, one lesson, I think, um, and this is less practical and, uh, and more um, theoretical, but to keep the long view, um, again, going into pastoral ministry, uh, very easy to think I can conquer the world or at least this church in the next three years. Uh, or, or, you know, you see so many things that need to change and you think, well, I can change that and I can change that. Um, and it's easy to forget that hopefully you're there for longer than a year or two or three and you can stick with it and, uh, and change takes time. Change in a church, but change in people's lives as well. So always keeping the long view. Um, I, I've always tend to spend way more time being discouraged uh, by what is left undone rather than uh, being encouraged by what is actually done. Uh, and I think that comes from looking at just the short term. You, you just look ahead. You see all these things you haven't been able to do yet or accomplish or things that just you've been working on but haven't changed. Um, I think if you have the long view, you can say, yes, but look what progress we have made. Uh, look what has been changed. Um, look at these, this testimony of God's work in that person's life or that person's life or in my own life. Um, so keeping the long view, I think, is, is a, a one lesson that I learned uh, pretty early on. I had mm. uh, a pastor tell me, um, and I, in hindsight, I know that this was, at least in my opinion, very bad advice. But it, it shaped my ministry early on, at least for the first six months or so. He said, look, you've got a year before the people turn on you, kind of, before you, that honeymoon <laughs> period is over. So change everything you can in that year. Uh, just go after all those big changes in that first year and get them out of the way. Uh, and, and then you'll be thankful later. Uh, thankfully, I didn't. Take that advice entirely. That sounds like uh, the that sounds like the worst <laughs> advice I've literally. That goes against every piece of advice I've ever heard from any other resource, yeah, including other pastors. Right. Yeah. Um, I I didn't listen, or, or at the very least, I didn't have the courage to make those huge changes in the first year. <laughs> um, but that again would be a short term view, like the clock's ticking. I've got to make changes, uh, not the long view. And I found just the opposite uh, is true. And what my counsel to somebody else would be, I don't think it's very unique. Take that year to just love your people. Uh, take mm. that year to invest in them and get to know them. Um, understand the situation that you're in. Understand the history. Uh, understand, I think, the Lord's leading for those particular changes you think need to be made. Because they may not be what you thought they were at the beginning. Um, and, uh, yeah, take take the long view. 
So, I yeah. won't tell you that Justin's the one who gave me that advice. But. Yeah. I heard it was Justin. That's right. That's what you said off air. All right. So I want. I have a question, kind of related question. I'll just ignore that. Uh, what, what did you learn uh, specifically about preaching? Because I see a lot of young guys come out of seminary, particularly seminarians, who are, I mean, very academic, very bright, um, just very articulate, yet they get in the pulpit and every when they preach, it's like, man, you got to they're getting in the weeds. And it's just it's very deep, very theological, very academic in their presentation. Was that anything that you struggled with early on? And if so, what kind of corrections did you realize you needed to make in terms of your preaching? Uh, I, I think I probably struggle with that early on. Uh, although I don't think it took long. I mean, you can read people's faces, right? When you give that long explanation about the grammar in that particular verse, um, and nobody's awake at the end of that explanation, I think it's pretty easy to tell that that's the most effective way to communicate. Um, I, I remember, and I wish I could give the source here. I just can't. Maybe you guys have heard this as well. I remember um, some pastor along the way saying that in their first preaching series, maybe they were preaching on Ephesians or something, and they, they gave the entire first sermon to explaining or defending Pauline authorship of, of his letter to Ephesus. And at the end of the sermon, somebody, somebody came up to him and said, that that was great, but we already knew that Paul wrote it because it said right in verse one that this was written by Paul. Um, and uh, that that was that resonated with me early on as a reminder of your preaching, not to your professor. Uh, I mean, maybe they happen to be in the pew or or you're thinking that they might listen online, but ultimately you're preaching to the people that are in front of you. Um, those are the ones that you're that you're contextualizing for. Um, certainly not any kind of platform or to boost your credentials or whatever. So um, I don't know how long it took me to kind of implement, if I even, maybe I'm still in the weeds. Um, but that's one one lesson related to preaching. I, mean, I think another one I would add to that um, is just preaching according to your own style, even preparing sermons according to what works for you. I, I didn't actually have a preaching class um, in Bible college or seminary because I was very sure that the only thing I wasn't going to do was be a pastor. So I avoided those classes like the plague. So I didn't have kind of the, the textbook um, background in terms of what I'm supposed to do for preaching to, to shed. Not that that always needs to be um, eliminated, but at the end of the day, you're not Haddon Robinson. So you can't preach exactly like Haddon Robinson. Um, you're not Charles Spurgeon. So you can't preach like Charles Spurgeon or whoever it is that you listen to um, on podcasts or whatever, you've got to find your own voice in preaching. Uh, again, have I done that? I don't know, but I'm certainly more conscious of it than I was when I first started. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, Andy, just to, just to jump on that, because I, I think, you know, I think it'd be encouraging for churches or church leaders that might listen to this podcast and they might hear you say that how, you know, if they get a young pastor in the pulpit, um, how long do you think that they should be patient with that with that um, young person as they're uh, as they're preaching through God's word? Like, how long did it take you to to get to find your own voice? Um, you know, how many years, maybe how many sermons, or however long it took, 
or maybe you're still going through that, you know, because I've heard other people say, you know, your first 500 sermons are complete garbage, throw them out. And you don't really start really learning how to preach until after, you know, sermon 500. Well, I think there's some truth to that. Uh, how do you find your own voice? I think you just keep preaching. Um, I, on the other end of things, I think it's important not to to only listen to one or two other preachers. Um, mm-hmm. you, you'll probably sound like those one or two. Um, Tim Keller talks about, I guess, something along those lines. Um, you know, if you if you listen to one or two people, you're going to sound like them. Um, but if, if you listen to a hundred different people, you're going to start to find your own voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's, that's helpful and wise. Uh, how long should a church bear with somebody? I mean, I think church people should, should be part of the process in, in offering constructive criticism. Uh, it's one thing I still long for um, and, and definitely longed for early on was uh, objective external feedback because um, our people are great. Uh, like they, I, in their minds, uh, at least what, from what they've told me, I've never preached a bad sermon, you know? Um, and I know I have, so I know they're not always telling the truth. It's just not constructive criticism. Um, so maybe a way around that is, is to not in a prideful way, but to, to find those close friends that you can kind of uh, send a sermon file to and, and ask them to critique it. Um, trusted friends who, you know, will give, honest feedback and, and tell you um, how you can improve. But uh, I think a church should be gracious with a younger pastor uh, um, in general. Um, but the best way to serve him is to give constructive feedback, not just, you know, pats on the back. So it kind of following down that road. What did you learn about leading leading the church uh just to give you another example i know a guy really smart bright may have graduated from the same seminary you did and um but he he went he went to his first he went to his first pastor and um he was just like it was a disaster and it was it came out that he was in talking to him he was just like well i told him what they do and they didn't do it and that was how he and I'm not sure that's everybody's experience. And I know you well enough to know that's not how you, you know you wouldn't have approached it that way. But when you think about what did you learn about leading people is really kind of the core of my question. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how is it different than what you expected it to be? Well, related to the advice that I told you, the bad advice I got early on, I think one thing I've learned is you don't. As at least in pastoral ministry, you can't lead your people without loving them and without establishing um, a relationship of trust. In other words, they need to know that you are for them more than you are for your vision or your causes um, or or where you think that church should go. Um, and I think if your people understand that, that you are for them, that you are their shepherd, that you are committed um, to their spiritual well-being, at the same time, of course, I mean, not, not to the exclusion of you're committed to the advance of the gospel, the, um, the growth of the kingdom. Then you have a context or, or an environment in which you can lead them in places that they might not really want to go. Um, mm. So that's one thing. The other thing I think I would say is, is teach, 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 teach. So rather than stand up and say, this is what I think we need to do. 
uh, you know, to your point about the pastor who said, I told him what to do. Um, just teach uh, every aspect of whatever that change might be. Uh, not from your brain, but from the word. Uh, hopefully what you want to see happen is grounded in scripture to begin with. Um, and so go to the word and, and commit to doing that over the long term um, as a basis. Uh, not, not, I mean, I can, you can say all that and it can be misinterpreted to say, well, you need to proof text your idea from the pulpit. That's not what I mean. Um, I'm talking big picture, grounding your people in the word so that when the time for that change comes or, or the point of decision comes, everyone understands that this is not just the pastor's idea. This is, this is clearly based in, in what scripture teaches us. I mean, it's more helpful to talk about that, I think, with specific examples. But uh, that's, that's what I would say about leading. Uh, let your, your teaching ministry, let the pulpit um, kind of be the, the furnace, so to speak, where, where the ideas are, are generated and, and coming from, not, not just the pastor's imagination. Um, and then also love your people. Just sacrifice for them. Sacrifice your time for them. Let them know that you are concerned for them. They're not just in the way of your grand vision for the church. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's hard. And, and it comes back to what I said a few minutes ago. That requires the long view. Uh, change is not fast. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. And that's, uh, I think that's good because I think a lot of guys come out of either Bible college or seminary and think that, you know, um, that they're so responsible responsibility preach the word of god and that's i mean that's obviously uh, a primary responsibility but um i think that um oftentimes young guys can come out and, and forget some of the most fundamental things um a, a, as part of their calling which is to care for and visit with the people of god and get to know the people of god um instruct them in the word not just on sunday uh but also throughout the week you know throughout um getting to know them and sitting down with them even grabbing cups of coffee with them um, or whatever that might look like. Yeah. I think that, and this relates back to mistakes that I've made and, and struggles that younger pastors have. I think it's very easy to view people the wrong way in pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. um, not, not intellectually, but in practice. So instead of viewing people as, you know, how can I use this person to leverage my vision or, or what even, you know, more biblical sense, you might say, what gifts does this person have that, that can serve our church rather than viewing people as tools uh, to accomplish a greater purpose. I think it's more helpful to, to view them as um, sheep in the flock of God, the flock that's been entrusted to my care. Um, I'm just an under shepherd. So rather than saying, how can I use this person or how is this person in the way of what I'm trying to accomplish? Simply ask, how can I love this person well? Um, what would that look like to love this person well? Uh, I think that's a, a helpful starting point. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So um, what do you think, closing with our, our last question, what does a younger pastor need to know before taking this? First? Like if you could give maybe a couple of just a couple of principles or lessons that you've learned that say, Hey guy, entering the, entering the pastor for the first time, few things, um, or heed these warnings or, or whatever that might be. What would those, um, 
what would those encouragements be? Um, I think first of all, to the young pastor getting ready to take his first pastorate, uh, you don't know everything. <laughs> um, you probably don't know half of what you think you know. Um, so you need to get wisdom at, at whatever costs, get wisdom, recognize that you need it and seek after it desperately. I think it's a very biblical idea. Um, wisdom is gold and, and you need to get it. And I think you need to get it wherever it can be found, which is a variety of sources, obviously scripture, um, grounding ourselves in God's word, not just for the text that I need to preach this Sunday, but just for yourself. Um, but even more than that, obviously there's wisdom to be found from other pastors locally or uh, authors, writers, books, conferences, all of those things, all of those sources. But don't overlook the wisdom that can be found from the people right in your own church. Uh, mm. I've learned so much from the, the businessman in our church and from the elderly lady in our church that I spend time with you know, every couple of weeks, or from the, the young mom in our church who's struggling to um, kind of manage her home and, and all those things. Uh, there's so much collective wisdom right among those people that didn't go, they didn't go to Bible college. They don't have degrees in theology. They've never been a pastor, and yet you can learn so much from them. Mm. Um, and so I think all of that, like understanding that you don't know everything there is to know, encourages that posture of humility that we need. Um, mm -hmm. So you don't come on the scene saying, here I am, I'm, the, I'm your savior, I'm your Messiah, uh, get behind me so I can lead the way. But you come in in that, that humble um, posture and just say, look, I don't have all the answers either, but we're going we're gonna to move together. Um, so I think get wisdom or know that you don't know everything there is to know. And secondly, kind of on the other hand, as a young pastor, you need to know that you have everything you need. So you don't know everything there's snow, but you do have everything you need. And I think that gives us confidence. Um, and I say that because not, not because you have kind of every, every uh, skill there is for pastoral ministry or every gift there is for pastoral ministry, but you have the power of the gospel. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You have everything you need um, for life and godliness in the scriptures. And you are called to teach and preach that word and that gospel that, that, has, that is the power of God for salvation. So um, be encouraged, even though you're humbled because you don't know everything you need to know, be encouraged that, that God is at work through those simple means, changing lives, uh, welcoming more and more people into his kingdom. Um, you don't need gimmicks or tricks or strategies. You don't need robust plans and visions. You need to be faithful with what God has given you. Um, and and that, that's encouraging for me because I don't have gimmicks and tricks and strategies, generally speaking. Um, but I know that I have what, what God has called me uh, to do, and that is the, the power of his word and his gospel. So whether you're leading a meeting or counseling somebody or doing a funeral, you have the spirit of God, you have the gospel, uh, and your competency ultimately doesn't come from your seminary degree or your gift set, but your competency comes from God. Mm. Um, I think maybe one other thing I would add on to that 
and that is you need to be prepared for suffering. I don't think you can read the letters of Paul or the book of Acts and conclude anything different than that. Um, This is true for all Christians in a certain sense, but especially pastors. Suffering will come. Uh, D.A. Carson has said that. um, It's not a matter of if suffering will come. It's when it will come and what it will be. We all suffer in certain ways. And so when it comes, will you be ready? Will you be prepared to suffer well, suffer in a way that glorifies God? And and this was ingrained in me early on um, that a huge aspect of what pastors are called to do is to prepare your people to suffer. Um, Thankfully, the providence of God, that through a variety of sources, that wisdom was was given to me early on. And, uh, And sure enough, suffering has come. In, in the life of our church and the lives of our people uh, in a big way two years ago. And um, and I'm not saying that we were perfectly prepared for it. I don't think you ever can be. But the question is, you can't ground yourself in the things you need to suffer well in the midst of suffering when the waves are crashing down. So as a pastor, even when things are going well, are you grounding your people in the truths that are unchanging, uh, in the character of God and the promises of God? If you put all of your efforts into that, I think you'll be serving your people well for whatever it is that that God has in store for them. So be prepared to suffer. That's a great positive way to end, isn't it? (laughs) Prepare to suffer. Prepare (laughs) to suffer. I like it. Hey, Justin, I just want to throw this to you before we close up, man. Are are there some practical concerns or or some things that you think – either churches or young pastors need to be aware of um, as one's entering the pastorate? Is that question was for me? Is that, did I get that? Yeah, that, 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 was, okay. that, was, yeah, that yeah. was for you, Jay Nash. Okay. Sorry. I, I missed that. No, I think one of the things that I think Andy said that really resonated with me and I think is so important is to remember that really in so many ways, your primary calling is as a shepherd and the necessity to love people. And so often, uh, particularly young guys who, who are coming out of the theoretical and the academy simply don't understand how to love people and how to minister to people and how to show grace and compassion. They, they just don't have it. They, I don't know. It's because, I mean, you can't teach that. You just have to learn it. And so to be willing to be patient and and to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to learn who these people are before I try to ask them to do anything. I'm going to learn what their hurts are, what their joys are, what they're struggling with. And I think that's one of the things that my pastor remarks, has remarked to me several times. He said, you know, I look out on Sunday morning and now I understand all the different things that people are dealing with in the congregation because he's been their pastor long enough now to know them and know what they struggle with. But when he first started his first two, three years, he, he didn't know. And now he knows about the family whose son is an alcoholic or another family who's, who hasn't talked to their daughter and, and in four months and doesn't know where she is and, and, and somebody having health problems and these different things. And, and so I think it's um, 
that's really just a, if, of all the things that Andy said to me, I think that's one of the most important that you just really have to be willing to, to sit, sit with people and say, look, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere, especially for a young guy, especially in a small church, because so often small churches see themselves as stepping stones. You know, we'll get a young pastor. He'll come in here. He'll build his resume and he'll go to a better church. And, and just to say, no, this is the best church. If you really, truly feel God's called you there, then that's the best church. And you want to be there until he calls you somewhere else very clearly and help people understand that, hey, we're in this for the long haul. They, everything I've read and everybody I've ever talked to says, you know, a church won't consider you really their pastor until you've been there five years. Mm-hmm. And it takes that long to build uh, trust and relationships. And so I'd say just wherever you go, go in it with the, with the idea, I'm in this, I'm in here for five, seven, 10 years at a minimum, because I'm just going to get in here and, and love people and learn them and know them before I try to ask them to do anything. And I, that, that really resonated with me. So I appreciate that a lot, Andy. You know, you, you mentioned the, the idea of, of staying somewhere and being there for five years. Actually, I think your boy, Mike Clifton, uh, on a podcast I re- recently listened to that he was on, had mentioned in a revitalization situation. I think this should probably parallel any any pastoral situation, but going into um, a church, uh, into a new church, that uh, you should look at being there at a minimum for five years because uh, that you're not really going to see any sort of change or any um, – especially in a revitalization effort, you're not going to see things move in a positive direction for at least three to five years. And if you're only there for the short term and you're looking to just move up the rank, so to speak, then you need to really check yourself, right? You need to check your motivation. You need to check your heart. You need to check what your calling really is because um, I don't think we see any any reason in scripture where we would say, uh, you know, a pastor is supposed to move up the ladder as if there were a ladder, right? Um, so I would just, I would admonish anyone out there who, who thinks that, you know, the next pastor I take is the one that's going to move me to that next level, or, you know, I'm looking for this certain position. So I need, I know I need to have X on this resume. Listen, if God has you plan to be, um, in a certain position, and I'm not saying that certain desires are sinful. Some certainly are, but, um, God's going to put you where he wants you, no matter what your resume looks like. So um, pastors really should avoid at all costs resume shopping and, and trying to look around and, and, and notch things on their belt so that they can, you know, in 20 years, look for the perfect uh, position. Cause there's no such thing, right? Like the, everything's going to have, every pastor is going to have difficulties. Um, every church is going to have difficulties and, um, Nothing's ever going to be perfect, but God perfectly places everybody in every church where he wants them. Yeah, if I can just tack on to that anecdotally as well, uh, both of the things you just said. Um, when I was here, had been here seven years, um, or almost seven years, we had a major tragedy in our church. A young man in our church passed away very suddenly. And... Mm. Uh, as in a small church, that just the, the ripple effect goes all the way through the entire church. Um, and we were standing at the graveside of this young man, and his father uh, came over and gave me a hug as we were kind of wrapping up uh, and said, thank you for being my pastor. But more importantly, thank you for being my friend. 
Mm. And uh, and that, that's, by the way, not a credit to me at all. But I think because I think at year three, maybe even at year five, he wouldn't have said that. Um, and there's a difference, you know, there's a difference between being a pastor and being a friend, uh, which I, I just take to mean actually being there for the person because they're your family, not not just because they're, you know, part of your job. Um, and uh, and to me, that just illustrated that the value of of walking with people for the duration. I mean, God calls us away at times, and that's what we're experiencing here at Faith Church as we look uh, towards a new ministry that he's called us to. But um, but as far as our hearts go, being content where he's called us and just digging in here, digging into the lives of the people, loving them well, mm-hmm. serving them well. I don't think you can serve them without loving them first. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Uh, hey, Andy, we are... Uh... We appreciate ha- having you this uh, for this episode, and we know we have you for one more episode. Um, I just want to thank you, and uh, also congratulations on the um, uh, becoming the new uh, president over at Bix. And I know that's going to be, you know, definitely, uh, you know, a difficult time leaving your first pastorate. And, and our prayers are with um, the people at Faith Evangelical and with your family as well. And we just praise God for the work that he's done in your life and your family's life and the work that he's going to continue to do through you guys. So um, thanks for joining us, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right. Until next time. God bless guys. Hopefully this wasn't a waste of your time.